Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We have been in a series called By Faith, The Sequel, uh, where we are once again looking at two words that we discussed at the beginning of 2022, by faith, as a prophetic invitation from God to lean into all he had for us this year. Uh, If you are joining us for the first time or you're new around here, uh, those two words come from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, where the writer of the book recounts the stories of men and women throughout biblical history past who, who lived these amazing lives of faith and left a legacy as a result. And during the first few months of this year, we looked at their stories in hopes that we'd been inspired to do the same, to live by faith and not by sight, as the scripture tells us. Uh, But that series concluded in the spring, yet as we neared the fall, right around our four-year anniversary, there was just this, this sense, this agitation in our spirit that God was not done with those two words, that there was more he wanted to do, more people he wanted to heal, more miracles he wanted to pour out, uh, more breakthrough, more freedom. And as we've said every single week, most importantly, more people that do not yet know Jesus, that need to bow a knee to him and confess him as Lord. Names represented on cards in this box that we pray over every single week that you wrote down, friends, family members that need to come to Christ. And here's what I love. This has been more than just a series because we've been obedient and listening to what the Holy Spirit has said. We have seen such miracles pour out in our community. We've seen God heal. We've seen God bring breakthrough to people. We've seen marriages restored. And our resident statistician slash ops guy, David Escobedo, told our staff last week that last Sunday alone, seven people made a documented decision to follow Jesus for the first time. Come on, that's worth celebrating right now. Which brings the total, I I love this number. If you get like freaked out about churches that keep track of numbers, just read the Bible. There's a whole book called Numbers. (laughs) And uh, someone was counting when the Spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Someone was, uh, Pentecost, someone someone was counting when the church was was built to 5,000 a few weeks later. Someone was always counting. We have seen 676 people come to know Jesus for the first time since opening our doors in 2018. That's a miracle right there. And that's why we're doing this series. That's why we're leaning into these two words again, because miracles are taking place. Only this time, we're not looking at the book of Hebrews as our guide. Instead, we are considering the lyrics of a song that we wrote and released back in September called By Faith. And each week, we're taking a lyric from that song and considering the corresponding scripture uh, as we dive into the word. Today, I wanna look at uh, the first and second verse of the song where we repeat this line, and so we're gonna hone in on today. Uh, We sing this. We remember what you've done and we lift you high. And then in the second verse, we sing, we remember what you've done and now we sing. Remember what you've done. Remembrance is such an important facet of faith. It's such a big deal to the life of a believer. There is a reason that God all throughout scripture commanded his people to remember what he did, to recall his faithfulness. If you look through the Jewish calendar, even today, there is holiday after holiday after holiday that points back to remember the faithfulness of God. He commanded his people to remember. Why? Because God knew that if we failed to remember what he did, we would not be able to believe for that which he wanted to do. Recalling his faithfulness always stirs our faith for what he wants to do now and in the future. 
And remembrance is a big deal. And I can think of no more appropriate weekend than the weekend after Thanksgiving to just take a moment and focus on the importance of remembering. Uh, and so here's what we're going to do. Today we're going to go to the scriptures, Luke chapter 17. We'll go there in just a moment. Um, as I mentioned last week during the sermon, we're going to spend a second weekend now on lepers. Sorry, <laughs> I know that's not what you like to think about after eating food all week, but we're going to spend another week on lepers. And uh, today, instead of looking at one, like we did in Mark chapter one last week, we're going to be looking at a group of 10 of them and uh, seeing how their stories can inspire our faith. Luke 17 verse 11 says this. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, returned, praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all 10 of you guys cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has healed you. 10 guys were healed, one guy returned. To that end, I wanna title this sermon in the form of a question and make it personal. Here's what we're calling it today. Am I the one? Am I the one? Let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, we, we, uh, we do thank you today for what you're doing collectively in this church, what you're doing in our lives personally. Uh, I thank you that we woke up this morning with breath in our lungs. I thank you that according to Lamentations chapter three, it says that your mercies are new every single day. And as we woke up today, there was fresh mercy available to us. And I thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts and minds over the next couple of moments. Uh, the, the scriptures tell us that your word brings light. It brings clarity. It can transform us. And so as we go to this story and we look at what you did in the lives of 10 men some 2,000 years ago, I pray that it would become personal and that you would do something fresh in us today, in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Come on, amen. <laughs> I know that this might seem like a, a pretty obvious passage of scripture to study on this weekend, on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, it obviously is about a guy who remembered to come back and thank Jesus for what he did. Uh, in, in, in full disclosure, I've thought many years about preaching this text the weekend after Thanksgiving. It's a bit of a slow pitch for a preacher, for sure. Um, but what I wanna suggest today is that while this story is about Thanksgiving, it's not only about Thanksgiving. There's more to this text as well. In fact, I don't even think it's mainly about Thanksgiving. Don't get me wrong. It definitely is important to look at this text and be inspired as a believer to thank God for what he's done, even as we were talking about earlier. That is a massive part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to have this attitude of gratitude. As we remind you every single week, I think Justin reminded us again today, uh, we enter the gates of God with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. We cannot live near or be near God unless we have a heart of gratitude. I love what my, my favorite theologian, N.T. Wright, says. He says, to this rhythm of 
of, of praise and thanksgiving is central to the life of faith of a believer. You cannot have a life of faith without having thanksgiving. There is a rhythm to this whole thing. Uh, that's why we started out with the song we started out with today. Ah, thank God. I always feel like we should be spinning during that song, but uh, that's, that's why we start out worship almost every single week with some form of, of, of upbeat song, thanking God for what he's done. That's why when I pray every single time, I start out by thanking God for what he does in my life and what he's done in my life. That's why every single Monday, I don't ask God for anything. I spend the entire day just thanking him for what he's doing in this community. I can think of no better way to respond to what happens on Sunday than to just thank God on Monday without the distraction of all of my needs. Gratitude is a big deal to God. It's something we are called to do as believers. And if that is not a regular rhythm in your life, then yes, allow this text to inspire you to employ such a rhythm, to, to remain thankful. I think sometimes the reason we live at a distance from Jesus is because we don't have a heart of gratitude. We never make it into the gates because we don't have thanksgiving. So yes, be inspired to do so if necessary. But as I said, I do not think this is only about thanksgiving. In fact, as we look a little bit deeper at this text today, here's, here's what I think we're gonna find. I think this text is actually a bit of a roadmap to what it looks like to live by faith. And so what I wanna do over the next couple of moments together is, is I wanna draw three thoughts, three applications from this text. I'm gonna be a three-point preacher today. For all the note-taking people, you're welcome. I love you. Three points from this text. So what it means to remember to live by faith. Uh, number one is this. Faith, according to this story, calls out. Faith calls out. Look at what it said in verse 12 of chapter 17. As he, Jesus, was going into the village, 10 men who had leprosy stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, that's a loud voice, have mercy on me. And they called out in a loud voice. Faith has a voice. It has a sound. It has a volume. It has a decibel rating. It has some passion. Faith does not remain silent. As the psalmist wrote in chapter 116, I believed and therefore I, I spoke. Something came out of my lips. Anywhere you find faith, you will find people who are calling out in a loud voice. The two are inseparable. That's why I beg every single weekend during the sermon, just please say amen. Just please say come on. Just come on, talk back to me a little bit in the sermon. That's why I say dumb things like, I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. Why? Because faith has a sound. It calls back, it calls out in a loud voice. That's why our worship leaders beg every single week, come on, would you just lift up a shout of praise and give God some glory for what he's doing? And that's why we turn the volume up louder than you enjoy and louder than your grandma's church here at the Father's house. We offer earplugs at the door because faith has a sound, it has a volume. There's some passion involved. That's why a group of us every single week have our phones with a timer at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. to literally pray over these services that there would be verbal engagement and passion in the room because we want to see an environment of faith. Faith has a sound. It, it, there's some passion involved. And, and to be honest, my original intent for this point of the sermon was to focus entirely on that, to this relationship between faith and passion. Volume. I had this whole bit about how 
faith and passion are inseparable. They're, they're like peanut butter and jelly. They're like spaghetti and meatballs. They're like Costco and hot dogs. And just, I had this whole thing. I, I even had like a sermon prop that Amazon didn't deliver because it's Black Friday. But <laughs> I had a megaphone because it, when it said that this guy called out in a loud voice, it's the Greek word megasphone, which literally is where we get the word megaphone. And I was going to go around to the audience with a megaphone in my hand and yell in people's faces and make them uncomfortable. It was going to be great. I even had one of those like, those thought-provoking questions I was going to pose to the room. And I was going to say, if these men in this story were calling out to Jesus like you're calling out to him right now, would Jesus have even stopped? Would he have heard the voices or would they be so muffled and so muted because the passion is just not there? I thought it was going to be great. But as my wife can attest, it just wasn't sitting right with me. I got stuck at this part of the sermon for like two days straight. Like writer's block, could not get past this point. I, I literally lost sleep over it and, and it was just messing with me because I felt like I was just personality shaming people into not being as outgoing as me or as passionate and loud mouthed as your pastor. <laughs> I'm like, that just doesn't feel right. Don't laugh like that. <laughs> so I, I did what pastors do, I prayed. And I'm like, God, I, Sunday's coming. <laughs> I got to tell these people something. <laughs> what you got? <laughs> and, and right about Friday morning, the, the Holy Spirit brought some clarity to this inner conflict of mine. And I crossed out that question and I posed another one to myself that I am now going to pose to all of us this morning. If it was faith that caused these two men to call out to Jesus, then here's the question I pose to you. What keeps you from calling out? What silences you? What keeps you quiet? Remember, we're dealing with lepers here. For those who were not in the room last weekend or didn't catch it online, let me just remind you of their plight. These were the outcasts of society. They, they, they were the, the forgotten, the, the people that no one in their city wanted anything to do with because their disease was transmissible by touch. So they were exiled to live in a colony with other people suffering the same fate. They were rejected. They lived in pain in their bodies, emotional abandonment. Their lives, their dignity just wasted away day after day. But in addition to their physical and emotional torment, there was a spiritual suffering involved for these men. For they believed and their society believed that to have this disease was a curse from God. It was a punishment for their sin. It was an outward expression of divine judgment. They, they didn't catch this by, by chance. God gave them this. He, he, he hated them so much for their sin that he gave them this sickness. And so no one would have judged these men or been surprised if when Jesus walked by, they just remained silent and didn't say anything. They just kind of quietly sat in their corner among the rejects thinking, well, if that man truly is God, as people are stating he is, he wants nothing to do with me. It would have made sense for them to not call out. And yet they did. As they see Jesus walking into the city, they begin to call out to him in a loud voice. Why? Maybe they had heard that he was a healer. Maybe as people were walking by their colony on their way out of town or into town, they were talking about this one who, who was healing people by, 
by the hundreds and thousands. Maybe they had heard the story of the leper we discussed last week who was healed in a neighboring town. They thought, perhaps Jesus will heal me too. Or maybe they were just so sick and tired of living with shame and isolation that because of desperation, they finally decided, I just cannot stay here any longer. I gotta call out to Jesus. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, these men were compelled to call out to him in a loud voice. They began to shout. And the question I'm posing to you is, are you doing the same? Has your condition caused you to call out? Because here's what I know. I know that in this room, yes, even now at a 9 a.m. service on a holiday weekend, there are people who are suffering. Maybe you don't have leprosy, but you've got your own version of suffering. Suffering from a job loss, suffering because children are far away from Jesus right now, suffering with depression or crippling anxiety, a marriage that's hanging on by a thread, suffering with an addiction, suffering through isolation. You may not know what it's like to be a leper, but you know what it feels like to be locked up in a prison cell of your own condition. And I'm asking you today, has that cell, has that condition caused you to call out in a loud voice? Or has shame silenced you? Has this idea of God's judgment kept you from calling out or crippled your cry? Because listen to me very carefully, as it was for the 10 men in this story, so it is for you. Jesus is passing by. Every time you are in this room, he's passing by. Every time you feel that nudge from the Holy Spirit, hey, just pray, he's passing by. Every time you feel that inclination to open up the word and begin to read, that's Jesus. He's passing by. And he's passing by because he's hoping that you will see him and you will call out in a loud voice. That's his hope. I, I, I've mentioned this many times before, but um, Robin and I have, have known each other for most of our lives. And we grew up around the corner from each other. We went to elementary school together and junior high together and high school together. And uh, for the better part of... Uh, a decade, we, we dated on and off and on and off until eventually we decided to just get married in our early 20s. And here we are 18 years later and things are great. <sighs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but I, I can distinctly rem remember during these seasons where we were off again and we were not dating, but I wanted to be with her, that I would go out of my way to pass by her house if I was walking or when I got my license, when I was driving with my white Mazda RX-7 with some subwoofers in the back, I would go out of my way to pass by her house, just hoping that maybe she would be out front and she would see me, come to her senses. Maybe as my car passed by, she would look out that front window of her house and she would see me and she'd open it and call out. <laughs> I had these visions of just her like trying to stop me. No, don't pass by. And maybe if I did, she'd pick up the phone and dial because you literally had to pick up the phone and dial back then. And I, my brick Nokia phone would start buzzing next to me and hello, hey girl. <laughs> I would go out of my way to pass by her house in hopes that she would call out. And I know that sounds a little desperate, maybe like restraining order stuff. That's cool, but it all worked out. 
but I just wanted her to see me. I wanted her to call out. Man, I think that's a picture for some people here today. Jesus has gone out of his way to pass by. He's nudged you time and time and time again. He's had friends reach out and text you because he's trying to draw you back. He's manipulated the algorithms of your social media just so you can see things to remind you that he cares and he's passing by. Not so that he can shame you or judge you or stiff arm you and keep you at a distance until you clean yourself up, but because he wants you to call out to him so that he can come and heal and restore and bring joy and cast off anxiety. Listen. If these stories have taught us anything over the last nine weeks throughout this series, it's that when you refuse to be silent, when you call out from that place of shame or condemnation or sickness or whatever you're facing, not only does Jesus hear you, but he will respond to you every single time. Because what we might think is a desperate cry for mercy, it's actually a demonstration of faith. He sees that as faith. Faith calls out. Are you calling? Has your condition caused you to call out or has it kept you silent? Don't be silent. Be a faithful person that calls out. Number two. That one was good. Okay, I like that. Let's do that again. Number two. Faith doesn't just call out. Faith walks out. Faith walks out. Uh, Verse 14, it says that when he, Jesus, saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests And as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. Context is really important here. Remember, I I think I mentioned this last week, the lepers were were rarely healed. The, The inevitable demise of a leper was to slowly rot away in this colony of other people suffering the same fate until death showed up on your doorstep. That's how most of their lives ended. But in the rare event that a leper recovered, there was a provision in the Jewish law that allowed them to reintegrate into society. Uh, As we see here in the story, it started by showing yourself to the priest. You would go and literally strip down so that the priest could see your skin and determine that all of the white spots and lesions had healed up and you were no longer suffering with that disease. And if it was determined by the priest that you were cleansed, there was a rather odd purification ritual that you had to undergo uh, as written in Leviticus 14, which I know we've all studied extensively. Uh, It started with the priest wringing the head off of a bird, splashing you seven times with the blood of that bird. Then you had to shave your body down, take a bath, wash your clothes, and after seven days, you could go back to society, just like we do here at the Father's house. Uh, just kidding. If it's your first time, I need you to know we do not do that here at the Father's house, okay? It's a cult! Yeah, okay, I get it. But that, that's what Jesus is telling these men to do, to, to go and show themselves to the priest so that they can reintegrate to society. But, but Luke gives us this really interesting and often overlooked detail of the story that I want to hone in on for a couple of moments. He says that as they went they were healed as they went. In other words, while they remained stationary, nothing happened. It wasn't until they took the first step that healing began to release in their bodies. Uh, Let me say it like this in light of the point. They did not see it until they began to walk it out. 
I want you to see this picture. It's such a powerful picture in scripture. And sometimes I love playing these scenarios out of my head. And I think this will help us. So, so you got these 10 guys. They're standing off and there's Jesus in the distance. And as they see him pass by, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And Jesus looks back at the guys and he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. But they look down and nothing's changed. They're still exactly the same way as they were before. Are you sure? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Go show yourselves to the priests. And and there's a moment of decision. Am I going to allow what I see in the natural to keep me stationary? Or am I going to take Jesus at his word and go take that first step? And they choose to begin to walk it out. And, And picture this. One guy takes a step and he looks down. And as he takes that first step, suddenly one of the spots begins to disappear. And then he takes another step. He's like, oh my gosh, it's leaving. Another guy whose leg's been crippled, he just starts dragging his leg behind him. And as soon as he takes that first step, like mobility comes back. He's like, oh snap. (laughs) A guy looks at his friend. He's like, dude, you're walking and the spots are disappearing. And suddenly these guys who were just living here for years, they're running full force towards the priest. And every step, every stride is bringing about more healing and more clarity. And they're seeing this miracle unravel in front of them as they begin to walk it out. But it started with the first step. It started as they begin to walk it out. Now, listen, I believe in miracle moments. You're a part of a church that believes that God can do something in a moment and in an instant. We'll mention this a little bit later in our Discover class if you're coming and joining us. But, but you are a part of a charismatic community that believes God can change things in your life in one moment in his presence. One moment of prayer, one moment of the altars, one moment in worship. God can erase years of addiction. He can heal cancer. He can open ears, open blind eyes. He, he can do the impossible. He can raise the dead. He can do all things. I don't care what the cessationist says or what the Baptist believes. I have seen it with my own eyes. God can do the miraculous in a moment. However, I have also seen that not every miracle manifests in a moment. Sometimes it has to be walked out. Sometimes it's that arduous process of step by step by step. And I think that the reason so many believers get frustrated in their faith and people throw in the towel and they quit early is because sometimes we are demanding or expecting God to do in a moment what he wants to start with a step. Jesus, heal my marriage. I could do that. What God brought together, no man could tear apart. I can heal your marriage. I can bring you and your spouse back together. I don't care how bad things have gotten. I can unite you, the two of you together in my name. A cord of three strands is not easily broken, but you gotta take the first step. You gotta humble yourself. You gotta ask for forgiveness. You gotta go see the counselor. It's gonna take you walking this thing out. Jesus, set me free of my addiction. I'm tired of relying on pills or a substance to bring peace and this dance I do with a computer screen and I feel ashamed all the time. Could you please just set me free? I can do that. I said of myself, Isaiah 61, Luke chapter four, 
that I can liberate prisoners. I can open up prison doors. I can set the captives free. Freedom is what I do. In my presence, there is freedom. But it's gonna start with a step. You, you gotta open up to somebody and tell them what you're walking through. James 5, 16, we read it this last week. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. I can do that, but it's not gonna happen in an instant. It's gonna require walking it out. Since it's not uncomfortable enough, how about this one? Jesus, I need provision. Uh, I'm lacking resources. I need money. Money, please. <laughs> you got that reference. I, I can do that. I can provide for you. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I own it all. It is my joy to provide for my children. Not only can I provide for you, I can give you more than enough so that you can be generous on every single occasion. I don't care what the economy does. I'm your God and I own it all. I can make sure you are well provided for. But <laughs> you got to take a step. You have to walk in that direction. You got to tithe. You got to give. You have to live generously. You can stand under heaven and pray till you're blue in the face that the windows would open up and God would pour out a blessing. But that promise it starts with a step of obedience. Do I trust God with my finances? God will do the miracles, sometimes in a moment, but often as we begin to walk them out. It starts with a step. And that step looks different for everybody in the room. Maybe it's something we just talked about, maybe it's not. Maybe the first step for you is you actually need to leave your seat and come down this morning to receive prayer. Maybe you gotta join a group. Maybe you need to go through first 40 and the basics of faith and get built up so that you can begin to make progress. Maybe you feel isolated and alone and you've been coming to church for a long time, but you've never connected. You've never walked back to that table and identified yourself. And so you feel isolated, but it's of your own doing. You gotta take that step and get connected. Maybe it's discover. You've been attending for a long time, but you need to go from an attender to someone who's actually building the house of God with this community. You gotta take that next step. Maybe it's baptism. I don't know. There's a lot of next steps. But I know that Jesus will be faithful to call out and say to you, hey, here's what I'm asking you to do next. So if you find yourself in a season where you are frustrated at your lack of progress and it feels like nothing is changing, perhaps it's time to stop asking why God's not working and start asking why you're not walking. You gotta walk it out. You gotta walk it out. Number three, faith calls out, faith walks out, Faith returns. I wish I had another out. There was no other out. So kind of messing with me a little bit, but faith returns, faith returns. Luke 17, verse 15. When one of them, excuse me, one of them, when he saw he was healed, returned, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus's feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has healed you. Faith returns. Again, this is such a, a powerful picture that, it, that we miss sometimes and we can't afford to because it has such application to faith. It, it says that 
When the man saw that he was healed, he returned. Well, when did he see that he was healed? We just talked about it. He saw that he was healed as he walked. Remember? So, so if he begins to witness his healing as he's walking, but then when he sees his healing, he returns. You know what that tells me? He never made it to the priest. He never made it to the guy that was going to allow him to reintegrate to society. Somewhere along the way, he stopped dead in his tracks and he said, I don't wanna go back to my old life. I wanna return to Jesus. Listen to me, this, this is so, 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 so important. I think this is the main thing we're supposed to see in this text. So, so tune in for these last couple of moments. What this man realized was that the miracle of healing wasn't simply so that he could return to his old life. It was so that he could return to Jesus. Remember, we're dealing with a leper here. A guy who, who has believed his entire adult life with this disease that God wants nothing to do with him. He's been at a distance from Jesus. He called out from a distance because he had no business coming, clear, uh, coming close. But the moment he begins to witness in his body that God has healed him, let me say it like this, the moment he realized the condition that was keeping him from Jesus has been cleansed, he turned around and he ran back and fell at the feet of the very one he was unable to approach before. Are you seeing this? As I said last week, I will say it again. Guys, this is so much bigger than Jesus healing a skin condition. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the distance between man and God has been dealt with. The condition of sin that kept us at a distance from God has been addressed in the person of Jesus. And we now have free access to fall at the feet and come boldly before the throne of grace. As it says in Ephesians chapter two, we who were once afar off have now been brought close by the blood of Jesus. We can draw near to him. This is the gospel. This man did not want to go back to where he came from before he had the disease. He was not in a rush to make his way back to his old life. He acknowledged, no, the miracle is that I can approach Jesus now. I can find myself at his feet. And Jesus acknowledges that this man's willingness to return is the very evidence. It is the validation of his faith. What, remember what Jesus said to him? Because you returned, because you came back, your faith has healed you. Er, wait, what? Your faith is healed. I thought you were already healed. I, <laughs> The Bible told us, you were over here. As you went, you were healed. When you realized you were healed, then you went to Jesus. Why is Jesus looking at an already healed guy and saying, your faith has healed you? I thought it was when you told him to go to the priest that he was healed. Well, Jesus isn't talking about leprosy anymore. He's talking about something much deeper. When, when Luke uses this word for healing, it's the word Iame in the Greek, and it means what you think it means. It means healed from a physical ailment. Yes, he was healed from leprosy, and that's what took place as he walked. But when Jesus looks at this man and says, your faith has healed you, he uses a different word. Look at the word he uses in the Greek. It is the word sozo. 
and it means to save. Your faith has saved you. It's the same word that Jesus will use two chapters later in Luke 19 when he addresses Zacchaeus, an infamous tax collector. And he says, surely salvation has come to this household today for the son of man has come to seek and to save those who were lost. No, your faith, sir, has saved you. 10 men received physical healing. One guy got saved. Nine men left with cleansed bodies. One guy left with a new heart. Nine men received temporary reprieve for their situation. One man received eternal salvation. Your faith has saved you. And the only delineating factor between the nine and the one was that the one returned. He came back. So here's the question I pose. That's been posed by the title, and now I ask it again. Are you the one? Are you the one who returns? Are you the one who comes back to the feet of Jesus? And lest I be accused of ambiguity, let me make it abundantly clear what I'm talking about. I have noticed that for many people, faith is nothing more than a vicious cycle of returning to the wrong thing. We call out in times of crisis, when we find the reprieve, we go back to the old life, back to the way that things were. We live it up again. We stay at a distance from Jesus until we find ourselves in the next crisis and we call out from a distance again. I get the phone calls every single week. Pastor, my life's blowing up. Our pet's heads are falling off. Things are bad. I, I, I haven't been in church. My, my family's just dissolving. I, I need to come back. I need to come back to church. I need to come back to God. Yeah, you do. I got a seat waiting for you. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you're here because you've been at a distance. Yeah, you do need to come back. But you also need to stay there. You need to return and remain. Not run back to the way things were. Not wait till the reprieve comes, but stay there. I'm not trying to make anyone uncomfortable or, yeah, actually, that's not true, I am. I'm not trying to make you insecure in your salvation, but, but this story warrants that I tell the truth. So let me tell the truth real quick. If your version of faith allows you to do this dance where you just come back and immerse yourself in church and God for a little bit until things are good and then you go back and it's a ping pong where you can just call out in times of crisis and, and Jesus is gonna take you back and then you... Guys, that's not faith. That's not what this thing's supposed to look like. At best, you are receiving temporary reprieve like the nine men in this story, but your heart is never being addressed. True faith, saving faith, sozo faith is not in a rush to run back to where it came from. It's in a rush to find itself at the feet of Jesus where we say, thank you for saving me. Thank you for restoring me. Thank you for healing me. I know I'm the least likely candidate like the Samaritan in this story, but you pulled me out of a pit. You pulled my life out of a muck and I am grateful. So I will spend the rest of my days at the feet of Jesus with a heart of gratitude. I'll be in your word. I'll be in your house. I'll be in prayer, not out of religious obligation, but because I long to be at the feet of Jesus. 
This is the miracle. This is where faith remains, at the feet of Jesus. So, are you that one? Because, listen, you, you can call out in a crowd. It's easy to call out to Jesus in a crowd. You can even walk with some friends when they're experiencing some good things from God. But where it becomes personal is if you're willing to leave the majority and return to the feet of Jesus. Will you be one that returns? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come as we conclude. And simultaneously, I issue this invitation. If that has not been the marker of your faith, as I stated at the beginning, I'm gonna state it again. Let the next couple of weeks be a season for you to, to end the year strong, to read like never before, to pray like never before, to fall at the feet of Jesus. I pray that we conclude this year with a heart of gratitude for all God has done. And even if you're still facing some challenges, that's cool. Face him at his feet. Face him close to him. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the story of these 10 men in scripture. And I thank you for this picture of what it looks like to fall at your feet, to live with a heart of gratitude. I pray right now over every person sitting in this room who might be facing something challenging. And maybe that's an understatement for what they're walking through. Something crippling, something that seems like it's sucking the joy and the life out of them. Lord, if it's silenced their cry, I pray that faith would begin to well up right now. They'd find themselves calling out in a loud voice. If there's been instruction you've given to take a step in your direction, they would not stay where they're at, but they'd begin to walk out what you've asked them to do. I think about the story of Jonah. He was disobedient and swallowed up by the fish. And when God caused that fish to spout him out onto the shore, what, what did he do? He told him the last thing he told him to do before he disobeyed. Just go back and do the last thing God asked you to do. And, and if there are those of us here who have been in that vicious cycle of, of going back and forth, ping-ponging in our faith, God, today we just make a fresh commitment to stay at your feet, to stay near. Before we conclude, I, I do want to take a moment and, and, and maybe uh, there's someone here who's in that first place with the 10 calling out from a distance. You've never been one to fall at the feet of Jesus. Or maybe years ago you were, but you know that you need to make a conscious decision to draw near to him again right now and recommit your life to following him. I wanna pray a prayer of commitment with you before we conclude today. I'll remind you of the simple gospel. Jesus calls out, he calls you righteous, and you just gotta take that first step in his direction. If that's you this morning, you say, Tim, I... I need to pray that prayer along with you. Would you just quickly lift up your hand and look at me so that I know who I'm praying with today? Yeah, right on, ma'am. Got you. Yeah, right there, sis. Cool. Right there, got in the back. Cool. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, let's, let's all pray together as a family here with those making this decision. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. 
I take a step in your direction. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways, to receive your forgiveness, and to be empowered by your spirit from this day forward until I see you in eternity. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank God for every one of those, all four lifting their hand today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.